It's raw, it's real, it's unkempt. A podcast for founders, investors, and entrepreneurs hosted by me, Queensland's chief entrepreneur, Leanne Kemp. Now this week, I talked to Anthony Finkelstein, a British software engineer based at the Alan Turing Institute and also chief scientific advisor, national security to the UK government. Plus, I'll explain the difference between growth versus scale. Leanne's explaining in its finest. Welcome, Anthony. It is so great to have you on Unkempt. Boy, I feel like I'm on a podcast with an elite, a scholar, a gentleman, and a genius. How blessed am I that today you've been able to carve out a little time to chat and share your impressive mind and the knowledge that you hold with us. My goodness, you're a hard act to follow, my friend, and I can only imagine what a day and a night you must be having with everything going on around you. I know you're based at the Turing Institute, but not only that, the Chair in Software Systems Engineering at the University College of London, a visiting professor at the Imperial College of London and the National Institute of Informatics in Tokyo, as well as a fellow of the Royal Academy of Engineering. And for all the spare time that you have left over, you're also the Chief Scientific Advisor for National Security for the UK Government. A day in the life of Anthony, give us a little bit of an insight of what you do as the Chief Scientific Advisor and also how does science interact with national security? Well, Leanne, that is without question the most ridiculous introduction I've ever been given, Um, but I'll take it. I'll take it for what it is. Um, I'll definitely have to uh, make quite sure that's written up somewhere. So, uh, Chief Scientific Advisor for National Security, first thing to say is that the um, UK has a structure of Chief Scientific Advisors for each major area of government. Um, They're mostly people like me. I've got a sort of academic and, as you know, entrepreneurial background um, and we come into government for a period and then usually after about five years or so we, we go native and then we're no use to anybody and have to go back to where we came from again. Uh, so there are two scientific advisors for each major area of government, for defence, for agriculture, for energy and my responsibility is for the national security community. And what I do is that I um, run the science and research programs. I'm responsible for developing our innovation capabilities. I'm the voice of the future industry strategic decision making. So my goal is to try and get people to look beyond the ends of their nose, which means usually beyond the next budgetary period in government. I work with other chief scientific advisors across government on interdisciplinary problems. Might be most uh, a recent example is what's the connection between mental health, the responsibility of the chief scientific advisor um, uh, and the chief medical officer in health, and lone actor violence, um, a lone actor terrorist violence. And then um, my responsibilities are to support the national security missions, some of which are intimately related to uh, science um, in areas such as cybersecurity, physical security, counterproliferation, and so on and so forth. 
But I guess the the area that maybe our closest overlap is a shared interest in uh, entrepreneurship and innovation and how we can bring those to um, to government and, in my case, to the national security community. And so, Anthony, you're based at the Turing Institute. And, of course, this institute is world-renowned. It's also named after Alan Turing, the remarkable mathematician and cryptographer who famously cracked the code, the Enigma machine that was created during World War II. What do you think is the next Enigma in whatever form it may take, whether it be blockchain and quantum computing and homomorphic encryption? Are we really at a time in the development of science and technology where we have to be deeply concerned for cybersecurity? Well, I mean, the first thing to say is I'm not a crippy. I'm a software engineer. And um, so I think I can possibly talk uh, um, intelligently about um, uh, uh, cryptology, but it's not my area of expertise. So I want to zoom backwards because I think what's really interesting um, in the area of cryptography is the creative engineering using cryptography. So it's all the possibilities of new architectures and new models of computing which leverage cryptographic thinking. I think blockchain is a really good example of that. I think privacy-preserving architectures are another interesting example of that. I think the developments in enclave computing uh, and so on are also are also examples. So I think that's what really is interesting. And I think the commercial other and societally transformational possibilities of that are really very significant. In the purely cryptographic end of things, clearly the game in town is... um, is quantum-resistant cryptography. Existing public key crypt is vulnerable to, you know, to quantum compute. And we're going to have to find ways of addressing that. That's not a, probably not even a medium-term threat, but it's a long-term threat. In some respects, a lot of the brightest minds are saying that science is being disrupted in its own form, let alone um, the way upon which we have societal contracts with each other. I'm sure you've seen innovation at the forefront, not only from an adoption of government perspective, but there are so many cool, weird, amazing, and even perhaps tech-scary environments that are being developed today. Um, Are we living in a catalytic moment the next big change the leap forward how do you see it playing out will it be that big bang theory or are we creeping into the next paradigm shift so i'm i'm not a big fan of futurology um i have a a long and distinguished track record of getting it completely wrong Uh, (laughs) we look at exponential um speed up in tech development and I think most of us can sort of articulate the story, you know, Moore's Law and um, uh, and technologies that build on other technologies. But 
even we, it's a strange time to say this, in the middle of COVID, sometimes you misunderstand exponentials and what they mean. Um, uh, and uh, so somebody explained it to me very nicely uh, once. We said that if you want to really understand uh, exponential tech development, think of it like this. All of the advance, this is Moore's law, of course, you know, all of the advance that you've got since the first computer you got to now, all of that you get again in 18 months. Wow. That's what, that's what tech speed up really, um, uh, really means. Are we societally and institutionally well adapted for this? And for what it means, I'm not convinced we are. You know, you've worked with a fair few startups in your time, Anthony, and it's not a surprise considering that oftentimes startups can be agile and quick to develop new tech and new ways of doing things. Tell us from your side uh, of things and being inside of government, how can startups best work with government? Are there any little secrets and hints that you can let us in on to the success of how or what you've seen from great partnerships being formed? What can we do as a startup or a scale-up company to present ourselves in the very best light? Well, I think there's a lot of things for government to fix to make it easy for uh, uh, um, um, small and early-scale companies uh, to work with uh, uh, to work with them. And um, all I can say is that you know I think that's broadly realised. You know, globally, I know in the Australian government is very conscious of this as much as the UK. Government, so there's clearly um, things that need to be done on that on that side. Um, on the startup side of, of things, what I would say is that the first thing is not to be put off without. Many people think of government as being just too difficult as a market, and yes, there is an overhead of engaging. But when government does engage as a customer, it engages at scale and um, it puts things in the heart of big societal systems, which are then difficult to change. So you, um, uh, um, it's worth the investment in developing government as a customer. Like any customer, you need to understand it and it comes. That means, you know, engaging, understanding the drivers, the policy drivers, the um, uh, the political and institutional structures that are in place, uh, that's time well spent. I would say, and this is maybe, you know, you'll say it's special pleading or whatever it is, on the whole, startups tend to not look at defence and security, defence particularly, and that's largely because many people, many, you know, startup entrepreneurs don't know it as a sector, and they feel intimidated by the um, security requirements, by the process of engagement, but it is definitely worth it. Defence and security are an important uh, societal mission. Um, you know, and I know that Australia, for example, is about to see a big step up in its defence and security expenditure. So, you know, it's a good place. You always word things so elegantly well, and I'm pretty excited because I know that this podcast particularly, we're going to be distributing it direct into government. So it would be great for them to be able to hear those words that there is a role for government and work to be done at that side. 
Finally, Anthony, I'm giving you a crystal ball moment right now. It's yours to do as you wish with it. Gaze into the future and tell us what you see the world will look like by 2030 and beyond, or go back in time and tell us what you tell yourself as your 15-year-old genius. How would you do things differently (laughs) and what would it be? Um, um, my 15 year year old self my goodness me there are many things I would tell my 15 year old um, um, uh, uh, um, self principally of course celebrate your hair that would have been a particular message Um, you know there's a fame I don't know whether you know the um, uh, famous principle called yesterday's weather so if you want to predict um, uh, tomorrow's weather um, on the whole your first guide is what yesterday's weather is and even in the context of a uh, you know ra- things that are rapidly changing you'll you'll say what does the future looks like it looks like today only more so so i think we can discern the mega trends uh, that we're going to have to address you know a geopolitical fragmentation an international scene in which creativity comes from many more sources than it has done hitherto you know a a hotter world um, uh, which will have to adjust to climate change. I mean, there are lots of things that we can we can say, but none of these will come as a surprise to people. If I had to be, if I had to go out on a limb, I would go. I don't think the existing world of data and platforms, I, it's going to be quite the same. Um, I can't see us in a world dominated in quite the same way by a small number of platforms in the future. I don't think that's politically and commercially sustainable, but we'll see. Well, I live in hope of that last statement of yours because here I am fighting the good fight at the two hands on the steering wheel with Everledger. So I hope that one day we'll get to look back on this comment and tick the boxes of truth. Thank you so much, Anthony, for your insightfulness, your directness and your commentary. It's well appreciated. And I still won't take back my opening words, my friend. You are a scholar, a gentleman and a genius. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you so much. Thank you. See you soon, Leanne. In this week's Leanne Splaining, I ponder the difference between growing and scaling. Most small business owners want to grow their business, but is growing the same as scaling? Well, not quite. Understanding the difference between the two can mean the difference between more profit, less work versus less profit, more work. Scaling your business is a buzzword phrase you hear in the tech startup industry all the time, but most small business owners are fuzzy on its exact meaning and how it applies to them. And there are so very many business leaders dreaming of scaling their company. So if you're like me, you probably pictured yourself being an industry leader, established in different locations, serving a global market and having your brand recognized as the go-to solution for your customers. Well, let me be straightforward. Scaling is not luck. Scaling is a deliberate decision. My rule of thumb for what scaling is, when you scale, You're growing at two times the industry average, but your expenses year over year remain stable. And then there's blitz scaling, an entirely new paradigm shift in exponential growth. But here's the basics. Growth is about adding resources at the same rate you're adding revenue. 
For example, every new customer you bring through the front door, you hire the equipment or the person or the people, you have the hours and you service them. So you're adding more revenue, but you're also increasing cost. Now, don't get me wrong, growth is important, but in the early days, you'll probably be growing, not scaling, and maybe even growing fast by increasing market share or headcount or people in the company. Meanwhile, your expenses tend to grow at the same rate, if not more, because growth sucks cash. Now, scaling is a whole nother story. When you're scaling, your revenue is growing at a much faster rate than your expenses, giving you the cash and resources to help you fund and support the increased business. You'll have the opportunity to hire the right team, invest in tools and resources you can't easily afford, and you can reduce the operational dramas. Well, that's the external reality anyway, but internally, the reality is that the stress levels are high the drama of the daily operations with your team are going through the roof. And all this leads to less time spent with family and other things that really matter. A lot of the time scaling a business, it sucks. And as soon as you solve for the challenges of today, the opportunities tomorrow are already knocking. Scaling companies hit roadblocks when you're trying to move to the next level of growth and very few manage to survive or thrive. I like to call these roadblocks the valleys of death. When you're trying to grow and you find yourself in the valley of death, you'll need to master entirely new competencies. Remember, what got you here will not get you to the next level. The competency you need to master will depend on the stage of growth you're in. So here's my fast seven tips from my experience that will help you scale your company besides running revenue, revenue, revenue. One, hire people who are smarter than you. Two, build a company culture or even a cult. Three, automate everything. Four, don't just delegate, give ownership. Five, hire the doers. Six, try new things and repeat. And seven, provide a very strong vision. On a personal note, every time we're about to move to the next stage as a company, I have the talk. My family notices that I'm working more hours, spending less time with them, and I'm visibly tired. So one way or another, scaling will wear you down. And you'll want to support a system around you that understands the vision and also you as a person. And be sure that the people around you are there for you always. Up-level yourself. Surprisingly, I found this is a difficult thing for most founding CEOs to do. And many CEOs that start a company, they're passionate about the problem they're aiming to resolve and have a deep functional expertise in a specific area. This makes sense. And when you're founding a startup, but you're getting too involved in the details of scaling the organization, for example, responding to customer service inquiries or managing an operations team yourself when you have a head of operations, well, It's hard for you to make the leadership team succeed and prevent you from doing the work you need to do. Establish a mission and values and build out strategic roadmaps for the success of your company. Take a moment to congratulate yourself. You've launched and successfully validated your startup. But if you're like many other startup founders, I understand there is a need to keep going. A few shifts in focus, perception, And a role change will get you there. Now go scale your company, avoid the stress and drama, and mostly have fun. And don't forget, build a life. 
Unkempt. It's hosted by me, Leanne Kemp, and produced by the Office of Queensland Chief Entrepreneur and our Mike and mates at the Content Division. Hey, you like what you hear? Well, head over to your podcast platform of choice and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. For more tips, why don't you visit chiefentrepreneur.qld.gov.au. Thanks for listening.